Hi everyone, this is Christian Weatherford. And this is Ellen Weatherford. And you are listening to Just the Zoo of Us, an animal podcast. It's not just an animal podcast. It's an animal review podcast. Ah, animal and numbers podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Christian has completely forgotten what this show is about. (laughs) (laughs) We are recording on my computer this time and it has thrown everything off. Yeah, we had significant technical difficulties bringing this episode to you today, but we're here anyway. Here we go. (laughs) We were so dedicated (laughs) to you, the listener. That we made it through thick and thin. Christian and I are not zoological experts, nor are we tech experts, apparently. (laughs) Just (laughs) enough, though. Because we struggled so badly, but it's okay. But we do a lot of research to make sure that we're bringing you very trustworthy and reliable information. Yes. Sometimes the great, great lengths, as I'll talk about here shortly. (laughs) (laughs) You were really going through it this week, weren't you? Yeah. What I'm bringing to the table this week... Let's hear it. Rather than a particular species, this is a taxonomic family known as the stargazer fish. I'm really excited about this. Yeah. So, taxonomic family, Uranoscopidae. They're also known as the electric stargazers. Electric stargazer. Yes. Is quite possibly the most powerful name I've ever heard. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a David Bowie song? It does. Electric Stargazer. It'd probably be awesome. <laughs> Free band name. <laughs> you heard it here first. So this family contains nine genera and over 50 species. It's quite a few. It's a lot. And also, apparently, there's a whole other family that are also referred to as stargazers, but more specifically, sand stargazers. And this is not them. Right, not they them. They kick rocks. Their name is the Dactyloscopidae. Goodbye, Dactyloscopidae. Yep, not Get them. Get out of here. <laughs> We're talking about the cool ones this time. Yeah, so this was submitted by Bo Rouch. Thank you, Bo. Thank you. I'm assuming I picked the right one. Don't know for sure, but here we go. (laughs) (laughs) An executive decision was made. (laughs) I'm getting my information from the Florida Museum website at floridamuseum.ufl.edu, as well as Animal Logic's YouTube video titled Stargazers, Nightmares of the Ocean Floor. Mm, I like where that's going already. Yeah. I like any animal described as a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) So again, as I'm talking about these animals, keep in mind, I'm talking about a whole family. Um, So unless I state otherwise, you know, it's talking very generally. We're painting with a broad brush. Yeah, going to have to here. So let's talk about how big they are. There's a pretty big range from 15 centimeters to one meter, depending on the species. That's between six inches and three feet long, about that. That's pretty big for a fish, right? Three, yeah. I feel like three feet is on the bigger side. It is. It's a big, chunky fish. And where they can be found is in oceans all over the world, between 5 and 150 meters deep, or 16 to 490 feet. Quite a range. Good bit of depth. And this is normally where I would talk about their taxonomic family and what they're related to, so we're already talking about the family. Check. Yeah. Kind of done. But to kind of go up another level, they belong to the same order as sea bass and groupers, just to kind of give some context there. Okay. So I'll dig right into our first category of effectiveness, where we talk about physical attributes that let them do the things they're trying to do. I'm going to give the Stargazers a full 10 out of 10. Mm, 
That's what I like to hear. That sounds good. So I think I perhaps need to describe what they look like and why they get their name. Okay. So they have a peculiar body shape for a fish. It's somewhat football shaped and that it makes me think of the angler fish, but they're not related. So they have that kind of body shape, but their eyes, nostrils, and mouth, most of their mouth are on the top of their head rather than the front. Makes me think of a flounder. A little bit. But where a flounder is on their side, sorta, kinda. Oh sure, like the flounder has it kind of rotated to like one side. Right. But the stargazers is kind of more like they tilted their chin upward forever. It's basically they, they took their whole face and just put it on top of their head. <laughs> where, where you would describe in most fish to be their like forehead. <laughs> so what what ends up resulting is a face that is all on a single plane, kind of like a human's face. The reason this is important, and also they have these little frills that kind of cover their nostrils and mouth that kind of look like teeth, but not really. Oh, are these like barbells? Yeah, a little bit. So the whole point of this is they dig underneath the sand and they have their little face poking up to be flush with the sand. Oh, I see. <laughs> that sounds creepy. It is. Um, <laughs> and they get their name Stargazer because they're looking directly up. At the stars. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see. think they'd be able to see stars, but it's it's a nice image, I suppose, Maybe for an otherwise looking... not great image. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're looking up at starfish. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> I tried. They're looking for food. Wasn't there a character in My Hero Academia who could, like, clip through stuff? And I think there, I want to say there was, like, either a panel from the manga or, like, a scene yes. in the anime where... <laughs> His face is sticking up through the ground. Yes. They also animate his face in a different way from every other character in the series. So. <laughs> Does he look really creepy and weird? A little bit. He has basically, instead of full eyes, like, you know, of all the parts, it's just a black pupil against flesh. <laughs> it's like dots. <laughs> they did like weird dots. For kind, of, kind of like American style comic books, actually. Or American style newspaper like comics that kind of thing like archie yeah kinda. yeah Why but anyway do that? i don't know <laughs> just wanted to set the context there so first of all they have venomous spines on their back okay uh this is meant to thwart predators so if they've detected the stargazer's face yeah. this is kind of like a backup plan i guess yeah now you'll hear stories of lots of people meeting this unfortunately oh no uh, most of the time not fatal Although some species are more potentially fatal than others. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, the, the species that are in the shallower water, you would have no chance of seeing them. Like, they could be orange. And if they're <laughs> if they're under a few feet of, you know, sandy, muddy water at a beach, you're not going to see them. No chance. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. Yet another reason not to go in the ocean. <laughs> One of the things that animal logics video was talking about was scientists don't really understand how their venom works huh because when they try to collect it and study it they can't find any kind of toxicology with it so they think it might be a very unstable compound or what of whatever it is sure something that maybe like breaks down before they're able to yeah. really get a good look at it yeah interesting so as a result there's no anti-venom oh that's bad yeah the next big thing is their bioelectricity. Yeah, I want to know about this because I feel like this kind of puts it squarely in the electric and poison typing. Yeah. If we're a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> but so, it's also like ground and also water type. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think this animal is part of the inspiration of the Pokemon Stunfisk. <gasps> I think. 
There it is. Okay. Now it's like they talking. took a flounder and a stargazer and kind of combined them. Now we're talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm on board with this Pokemon. That's my idea anyway. <laughs> so they have an organ behind their eyes that can generate up to 50 volts. It's not a lot. Um, it would make you probably drop them if you felt it. Mission accomplished. I suppose that's really what they want you to do, right? But it's kind of a one and done thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so this is not like an electric eel going around. Zip zap. Yeah. No. But still, it's interesting. We, we talk about fish sometimes that have this ability. Yeah. And what's really weird is that like there's a lot of different types of fish that can generate electricity and mm-hmm. they're like not related to each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like very, very impressive uh, convergent evolution. So you've got like electric eels, which yep. are knife fish that live in the Amazon. Yeah. And then there's this other type of fish in Africa, I think. What type of fish is it? There's some type of fish that lives in Africa that can electrocute people, zip zap, same thing. Right. And then you've got this bad boy swimming around zapping people in the ocean. So like lots of different occurrences of fish evolving very similar defense mechanisms that yeah. seem so far-fetched for a fish. Like it doesn't seem like something <laughs> that would come about naturally that often. Yeah. Very cool. So so yeah, it's thought that they use this for for catching prey, but also defense. Sure. Yeah. So now is a good time to talk about the difficulty I've had with research on this. <laughs> it seemed to be very uh, sparse. Sure. Very sparse. And also having a lot of different species to choose from to look at. So uh, took a took, was an extra challenge to find information <laughs> this time. <laughs> but you know what? We stuck with it. Yep. We stuck it out <laughs> just for you guys. We run into this a lot with ocean creatures, though. Mm-hmm. Bless you. They are hard to find, though, right? From what yeah, you said. They're true. all snuggled up under the sand. Yeah. So. so I've already talked about their eye and mouth placement that makes it ideal for them to conceal most of their body, except for the business end. But kind of along that same thought, their fins are specially designed to dig. Dig. Yeah. So they, they kind of lay their belly on the sand on the, the bottom of the ocean and just kind of move their fins to dig into the sand to kind of bury themselves. Okay. Yeah. I've seen fish do this where it's like very, very fast. Yeah. It can be really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, they like pretty... wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Yep. <laughs> and some species in this family have mouth lures. Mouth lures? So little fleshy bits in their mouth that they can wiggle around to look like prey to other fish that's diabolical yeah i love that for them though yeah unlike most fish these fish breathe through their nostrils and i say breathe in the sense that they're moving water through their nostrils to get to their gills (laughs) oh okay so that makes sense though because that's the part that they have like exposed to the water right Mm -hmm. whereas other fish that are swimming more through the water so the water is able to like move over the gills yeah because their gills are also part of that area of their face that are above the sand okay or flush with the sand i should say okay um they also generate low frequency sounds to attract mates and stun prey it's really and by low frequency i mean five to ten hertz that is just below human hearing okay so we couldn't we wouldn't be able to hear this right maybe we just need to pitch them up a little bit like take (laughs) our sound recording and like speed it up or give them some helium or something (laughs) so we can hear what it sounds like that's good All right, so that wraps up effectiveness. Next thing is ingenuity, which is where we talk about smarts and different kind of strategies, that kind of thing. Clever behaviors. Yep. I'm going to give an 8 out of 10 for ingenuity. That's pretty good for a fish. Because their whole thing is around hunting tactics, Mm. right? 
So first of all, they're ambush hunters. So they do this digging and kind of hiding themselves in. And something I forgot to mention is that they also have very good camouflage. So the color of their face, the part that is flush with the sand, is usually very close in color and texture to sand. I'm thinking of like Peta Malark in The Hunger Games. That was the guy from The Hunger Games I that I thought it. was Tom Holland until like a few days ago, basically. <laughs> My poor boy. <laughs> But like he he completely like used like substrate around him okay. and grafted it basically into like his face and stuff so that you couldn't see him until you were like right up on him and then he got up and was like hey it's me sure I'm not gonna spoil the movie though okay <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they hide in the sand they're very good at doing that uh, but they also have a part, the part of their strategy is not just hiding themselves like from their prey but also attracting the prey to them oh. so you know we already talked about the lure. But something else they can do is they can blow water out of their gills and move its eyes in such a way to mimic there being like a small fish moving the water in that area. Whoa. Yeah. That's very smart of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're trying to attract, you know, small enough fish to them while also concealing the fact that there is a much larger fish just below the sand. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And that's a tough balancing act right between like being visible enough to be alluring but also invisible enough not to alert your prey yep so when they finally accomplish this what they do as we see with a lot of fish and other and amphibians also i think where the fish is close that's when they'll spring out of the sand opening their really big mouths to kind of create a vacuum Mm, i love this yeah so very cool sucks in the fish they they swallow the thing whole it's really nice. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like very impressive to watch because it looks like a peaceful, calm ocean scene where not really much is going on. And then all of a sudden there's this like explosion of activity where yeah. huge fish bursts out of the sand. It's really cool. Yep. And it's really, really fast too. So that wraps up ingenuity. And finally, aesthetics. I have high hopes for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I landed on a six out of 10. That was very kind of you. Maybe. You were very generous to this fish. I firmly believe this is the ugliest creature in the world. Yeah. They're not cute at all. I think most people find it very concerning when we see a human-like face and things that are not even mammals. (laughs) That's exactly what it is, is that it does have that sort of like flat face like a human does. Right. But it's not... It doesn't have enough of the human features. It's it's in that uncanny valley territory. I guess, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we don't see this in almost anything. Like having a flat face as ours, and kind of the arrangement of our of our features. Yeah, it looks like just human enough to be really creepy. Yeah, I don't like that. It's no, kind of it's like it. it's kind of like that same thing with how certain Paku fish have human like teeth. Ugh, it's the worst. <laughs> horrible this is not a cute fish at all it's not (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's the aesthetics and then my last little thing is about conservation status uh i did a little kind of just smattering of looking up this couple different species on the iucn red list it seems like they're all in the least concerned okay yeah they're doing okay yeah for now yep things not going so hot in the ocean in general but they're doing all right it seems yeah (laughs) maybe they will inherit this earth Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I've been stabbed and electrocuted at once. Ah. And poisoned. And <laughs> <laughs> My one day off. <laughs> one day from retirement. Oh, no. <laughs> and proms tomorrow. <laughs>
So that's the stargazer fish. Great job. Baby. Thanks again to Bo Rouch. Yes, thank you. I think there's such a an aesthetic dissonance between the name stargazer, which to me sounds very romantic and whimsical, you know, wistful sort of like star- when you think of stargazing, that just sounds like such a vibe. And then you see the actual fish, the stargazer, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? What? That poem that Moira in Overwatch quotes, the we are all in the gutter, but. Oh, looking up at the star. Yeah. Oh, but some of us are. What is it? We're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking up at the stars. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly what it is, because these are all the way in the gutter. They're so deep in the gutter, you can't get them out. <laughs> Good fish. Good job. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey there, friends. Quick minute before we move on to our next animal. We are able to bring you just the zoo of us thanks to the generous support of our patrons on Patreon. This month, I would like to thank Jacob Jones, Jacob Schick, April Kmick, Sarah Peterson, Vikram Baliga, Brendan Everfolly, Brianna Feinberg, Britt Vickstrom, Dalton Weeks, Diane Clare, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Patricia Morgan, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you all so much for keeping us going. And I'd also like to mention that this week I appeared on Beyond Blathers, a podcast about the animals you can find in the Animal Crossing video game series. My episode was all about snails. So if you'd like to hear me geek out with a couple of really awesome people about snails and Animal Crossing, go check them out at Beyond Blathers. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the episode. So what do you got for us this week, hun? This week, I have an animal that quite a few people requested. I think even I don't know what this is. That's right. Okay, so I did change my mind on what animal I was going to talk about like three different times. I prepared like three sets of notes this week because I could not decide which animal to talk about. Here I am sweating getting one set of notes done. (laughs) So the animal I chose to talk about this week is the pink fairy armadillo. Oh, okay. Little tippy-toe armadillo. (laughs) (laughs) This one is not tippy-toes. Oh, okay. The ones that we kind of know of, I think, maybe are more close to what you're thinking of. Okay. The Spanish name for this armadillo is called Pichiciego. Oh. Uh, The scientific name is Clemophorus truncatus. And this species was submitted on Facebook by Jack Vest, as well as on Twitter by Amanda Bryant and Liv. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Uh, I'm getting my information from Animal Diversity Web. Love them very much. And also from this Wired article by Matt Simon. The title is Absurd Creature of the Week. Pink Fairy Armadillo Crawls Out of the Desert and Into Your Heart. (laughs) And the reason I took so much information from this article was because it was based on an interview with Mariella Superina who is a conservation biologist with Argentina's National Scientific and Technical Research Council. And she is pretty much the expert in like the whole world on this armadillo. She's like the one person who has all the knowledge about the pink fairy armadillo. That's cool. Yeah. So pretty much everything we know about pink fairy armadillos comes specifically from like her work with these animals. Hmm. So if you don't know anything about the pink fairy armadillo, which I will admit, I knew pretty much nothing about them before this, they are extremely little. They are 13 centimeters long, which is five inches. Itty bitties. This is the smallest species of armadillo. (laughs) It's teeny tiny. They're endemic to Argentina. 
basically just means that they can only be found there and nowhere else in the entire world. Huh. And within Argentina, you'll find them in deserts and grasslands. So they like to be in very dry areas. Mm-hmm. Their taxonomic order is called Singulata. This is the order of the armadillos. There are about 20 known living species of armadillos. So armadillo comes from a Spanish word meaning little armored one. <laughs> um, this being because they are their whole body is covered in this thick, hard, leathery armor all over their body. Are they just in the Americas? Yes. Okay. Yep. Only found in the Americas, including the one that you and I are most familiar with here in Florida. We have the nine-banded armadillo. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That one has made its way over here. So the pink fairy armadillo is really strange when you compare it with the other armadillos. So the face is really tiny. It doesn't have that sort of long skinny snout like we see on our, on our armadillos. Um, it looks kind of like a piggy. It has like a little piglet face, I think. No visible ears, which is interesting. And so the top of its body is covered in this pink, like super pink leathery uh-huh. shell. Um, that actually, in a weird way, it gets wider towards the back. So, like, it tapers towards the front, and it only gets wider towards the back. Okay. And then it ends in, like, this sort of blunt ridge that goes straight across the back. Huh. It's almost, like, wedge-shaped. I would describe the end of the armadillo as, like, a butt cliff. Okay. <laughs> so, like, the, <laughs> the end of the shell just go, is like a drop-off at the end. Um, and then the bottom half of the body is covered in this soft, silky white fur. Mm-hmm. So the top half of it is pink. The bottom half of it is white. Very good. It's, good it's color combination. It's a great color combination. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what they look like. If you've never seen one, I highly recommend looking up a picture because it's a very interesting little critter. So for effectiveness, I give the pink fairy armadillo a 7 out of 10. Okay. Um, so armadillos in general are known for this like hard, tough shell around yes. their body. This is called a carapace, and it runs down the top side of their body from the front, like all the way up in their nose, all the way down over their tail. Um, now the shell is made of these little bony growths in the skin called osteoderms. We've talked about osteoderms before. So unlike turtle shells, osteoderms are separate from the actual like skeleton of the animal. So with like a turtle shell, the spine goes like from the neck up through the shell and like into the back. But the armadillo is not like that. They have a skeleton separate from the Mm. shell. Um, which is not to say that the shell comes off. Right. <laughs> it doesn't. It's still attached to the armadillo's body, but you know, it's it's like not uh, embedded into like the spine the way turtles are. The carapace is also segmented, which mm-hmm. lets the armadillo have some flexibility, so it's able to you know like turn and move and famously roll up into a little ball when they're threatened. Okay, that's what our armadillos do. They they roll up into a, like a nice tight little orb. <laughs> if you've ever seen um, what's that movie? The Road to El Dorado. Yes. There's a little armadillo in there that they like use as a ball for their game. Yep. It's really cute. <laughs> Love that movie. Yeah. So n- now what's what's unique about the Pink Fairy Armadillo's carapace is that it's mostly actually separate from the rest of the body itself. So it's only attached to the body by this membrane along the spinal column. Oh. Yeah. It's not so, a lot. No, it's not. So So most of the carapace is like... Not completely, like, I don't know, what's the word, melded, I guess, like, into the rest of the body. It's just, like, attached in the middle, basically. 
it's also kind of soft compared to other armadillo shells. Like other armadillo shells are much tougher and harder, but the pink fairy armadillo's carapace is kind of soft. That's because the color, the pink color, is caused by blood vessels in in the carapace that are like really, really close to the surface. Okay. So it's kind of soft and more flexible and bendy than other armadillo shells. So it's thought that this suggests that the pink fairy armadillo's carapace has actually been repurposed over time to play more of an important role in thermoregulation rather than protection. So we've talked about this with other animals that live in the desert, particularly the fennec fox. Yeah. So a lot of times animals that live in the desert, in order to keep their body cool, they need their blood to circulate through a part of their body that the blood runs very, very close to the surface so that it can cool off yeah, and then circulate back into the body. So the blood flows into the carapace, very close to the surface, cools off, and then flows back into the body. Huh. So it kind of has that same function as like big ears on other desert animals. So that, that means that membrane that connects it also has blood arteries and veins and stuff. Right. Okay. Cause blood's flowing in and out of the carapace. Okay. So they're like big heat sinks on its back. Yeah, exactly. And actually like the color of the carapace will either dull or intensify based on the temperature around the armadillo. That's cool. Yeah. Cause it's like controlling the amount of blood that's flowing through it. Yeah. So, This is naturally very important for an animal that lives in a warm place, like a desert. Um, And then they also have that soft white fur, and that keeps them warm because it does get cold in the desert right at night. So they can kind of go back and forth between keeping cool in the warm and then keeping warm in the cold. I think like the reason that it probably was able to repurpose its shell and not worry so much about like the defensive capability of the shell is that it spends almost all of its life underground. Oh. Completely underground. So they're aided in living this way by their cartoonishly large claws. <laughs> like so the 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 front claws that they have are too big they're they're like clown shoes on this little (laughs) armadillo these like front claws are huge um and but they're really good for tunneling so they're they're long claws that they can use to dig the sand out of the way and very heavily adapted for burrowing through the ground um and then also i mentioned that it has that kind of like butt cliff at the back it's got like this hard blunt edge at the back of its body yes. so while it's burrowing it's burrowing forward with its massive front claws and then as it's burrowing it kind of does this little like boot scooting boogie like it like scoots its butt backwards to pat the dirt backwards oh and it like compacts the dirt behind it so it closes the tunnel up it's like a butt plow it is a little butt plow. But so as it's tunneling forward, it's also scooting back to close the tunnel up behind it to, first of all, you know, hide from predators, sure. right? It's completely, it's giving this armadillo, like, a lot of protection from predators. But it's also helping with the structural integrity of the burrow, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, if you're providing some of that, like, structure behind you, it's less likely to collapse on you as you go. Sure. So very interesting little butt shovel that they have. <laughs> it looks kind of funny. And there's actually really interesting video of them doing this. It's really cute. Huh. So since the claws have been really heavily adapted for tunneling around underground, they're completely 
useless at getting around above the ground. Oh, man. Like, when it comes to, like, walking around and stuff, they are garbage. Um, and they, I will give them that they do not do this often, but they do have to come up above ground sometimes. So, first of all, if there's, like, an obstacle in their way, like, maybe there's, like, a foundation of a building or something or something that they cannot tunnel through, then they'll go above ground to go around it so they can keep going. But also if it rains... Oh, yeah. um, if it rains, then their burrow is going to flood and yes. they will drown. Or if their fur gets wet, they won't be able to stay warm anymore and they'll freeze. Oh. So getting wet is very, very bad for this armadillo. So when it rains, they come up above ground um, and then they're kind of easy pickings for literally anything. <laughs> That's kind of why I took some points off for their effectiveness. Because like once they're above ground, you know, they're, they're pretty defenseless, basically. Um, they're very slow and... They also have teeny, 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 tiny eyes since they spend so much time underground. Mm -hmm. um, so the only way that they have of getting around underground is basically just like feeling and smelling. Once again, doesn't hinder them much underground. But once you're above ground, which they do have to do sometimes, it holds them back quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> the next category, ingenuity. This is mostly a question mark, um, but I'm, I'm going to tentatively give them like a six out of 10. Okay. So very, very little is known about their behavior at all in the wild because they spend so much time underground and they're extremely rare, like extremely rare. They're very oh. hard to find. They're nocturnal and they're believed to be solitary, probably. Even, yeah. That's like, something if we have to guess at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's thought that they're solitary. Like other armadillos, they can roll up into a ball to protect their soft belly, which is something. Um, though I'm not sure how much protection this is actually providing them because yeah. the shell is not the hardest shell in the world. They're also very, very easily stressed out. Um, so this is what makes them so difficult to keep in captivity. It's They're very sensitive to anything changing or being different from what they're used to. So attempts at keeping them in captivity usually prove fatal within days. Wow. They usually don't make it more than a couple of days. And actually, the armadillo often doesn't even make it to the place where they're going to keep it. Like, it dies in transit because it just cannot deal. Aww. Yeah. So they really don't handle it well. I did find an interesting little quote about a behavior that they do. This was from Animal Diversity Web. This came from a case study on a captive pink fairy armadillo that was by Mariella Superina. One unique behavior that was noted in a captive specimen was that whenever anything was changed in its cage, it ran around the cage screaming, which may be some sort of stress response or warning system. <laughs> you think? Just <laughs> scream. <laughs> we think it might be stressed. <laughs> Like, if I woke up in the morning just screaming endlessly, and you were like, I don't know, I think she might be stressed. Are you, hey, babe, you hungry? <laughs> what is? What are you trying to communicate? <laughs> I'll make you some toast. It's okay. So, yeah, they just scream. That's their uh, stress response system is just Sa screaming. Same, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need to scream. <laughs> now, there is another type of armadillo known specifically for screaming. Oh. <laughs> so this is on brand for the armadillo sort of culture. It, the other one is called the screaming hairy armadillo. <laughs> Just not a flattering name. 
<laughs> Someone discovering these, like, I hate these things. <laughs> hey, what are you studying over there? It's a screaming, hairy armadillo. <laughs> it lives in my backyard. I haven't slept for days. <laughs> so, screaming apparently is something that okay. armadillos take very seriously. It's part of their identity. Okay. I love that for them. So, finally, I have aesthetics for the pink fairy armadillo. Okay. Now, y'all are going to have to bear with me. Mm. <laughs> Hear me out. Because now that you gave the Stargazer a 6 out of 10, <laughs> I'm going to look really bad. <laughs> because I gave the pink fairy armadillo a 5 out of 10. You're dunking on the Stargazer and then coming in here like this. <laughs> I didn't... I, I don't mean to imply that the pink fair armadillo is less aesthetically appealing than the stargazer. I certainly would never say that. But it is kind of what I'm saying. It's only arbitrary when it's not funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why I give it a 5 out of 10. I don't think they're very cute. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't think they're very cute. They have tiny, beady eyes. Big, meaty claws <laughs> huge cl i mean really look at him it's it's a lot to okay. process he boot too big <laughs> <laughs> they did get some points for having a really cute color scheme and a little bit of fluff to them uh -huh. we'll give them that that's pretty cute but overall they're pretty weird to look at this could possibly I will grant them, be due to the fact that most of the photos I could find of them were of taxidermied specimens. <laughs> That's true. And I have so much respect for people who do taxidermied specimens, but it never really quite, you know, captures the essence of the animal, like 100%, right? Like, it, if you look at a taxidermy of, like, any animal, I think it falls a little bit short of the true magnificence of the animal. Yeah, So, for like, sure. when the only exposure i have to them is of taxidermied ones what? isn't this species in the photo arc no I definitely swore. not because that would it would have had to have been kept in captivity for them to do it on the photo arc that's true yeah the longest one has ever been kept in captivity was four years with them being so elusive and secretive um their conservation status hasn't even really been determined they're listed as data deficient Wow. Um, they're very sensitive to human activity, so it's assumed that they're probably threatened by land development and the habitats that they live in, just because they're so fragile. Like, very little has to change around them for them to just lose it, right? Yeah. Like, they just scream, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, they don't have an official, like, conservation status, but one could probably reasonably assume that there are things in their habitat that are posing threats to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they could be doing okay, but I suppose just err on the side of caution, right? Like, yeah. Very interesting, very elusive little guy, very mysterious creature. Um, yeah, tell him about it. <laughs> Thanks, co host Finley. <laughs> So sweet. I know. So that is the pink fairy armadillo. Well, thank you, hon. It was very interesting. Thank you. Thanks for listening to me. Mm. I love the way that you listen to me talk. It's great. <laughs> cool of you to do that. Well, thank you to everybody who has joined us this week and past weeks and 
future weeks and the ghost of weeks yet to come and (laughs) (laughs) we really appreciate y'all uh if you'd like to come hang out with us virtually we're on facebook twitter and instagram search the title of the show i'm sure you'll find it i trust you to navigate the virtual realm if you have an animal that you would like to hear us talk about you can submit those to us my email address is ellen at just the zoo of us.com or you can always just slide into our dms with those <laughs> just me though not christian leave christian alone unless uh, you want to hear about star wars memes <laughs> and then you can talk to christian all you want it's the only way i respond to things <laughs> <laughs> he only knows how to communicate with other human beings and star wars memes it's like christian you owe X amount of dollars to the library. And I respond with a fine addition to my collection. <laughs> the library. What was the last time you were at the library? <laughs> Virtually yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for allowing us to use his song Adventuring off of his album B Sides. It's very good. It is. And that's B, like B E E, like. It's a pun. Yes. This whole time. This I'm, whole I'm time. Ki- I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 80 something episodes in yeah <laughs> you just now discovered well i i will say a lot of people often compliment us on the title of our podcast and if you've made it this far into the episode and you're joining us for our wrapping up thoughts i would like to say that christian came up with the title it is the biggest thing i've contributed <laughs> <laughs> it is the most invaluable thing that you've contributed to this podcast is the title. <laughs> I plucked it out of thin air on a car ride one day. You did. We were just driving in the car. And then you said, how about just the zoo of us? And I was so angry at you because I'd been racking my brain for weeks trying to think of a good title. And you just slam dunked it out of nowhere. I was so mad. <laughs> I had like a spreadsheet and everything of names that I thought were good. <laughs> Just gotta <laughs> bottle that lightning sometimes. I know. All right, bye. Bye. bye.